you're dead. You'll be dead for 30 years. It's like she's in the apartment. It's like she's here. I'm doing a bit, Ryan, if you're listening to this. She can't hear us. None of this is going to make it out. I think that's a good place to bring the episode in on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We got a guest. Who's our guest? Who's our guest coming in on the phone there? My D&D group. Fuck you, D&D group. (laughs) We're recording a podcast about Goodwill Furniture over here. We don't need your shit. I'm going to add Goodwill Furniture Podcast to my list of ideas right up there with the Laura Dern cast. <laughs> you talk about Jurassic Park and that one movie she did like two years ago. That's it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like a whole like six week series on Inland Empire. <laughs> Don't even fun get me started on the Twin Peaks series. I haven't seen it. Ah! Oh, it's so good. I talked to about it with my buddy Jake, who's watched it and is like, this is the weirdest fucking show I've ever watched, but it's amazing. It's so good. Uh, I started watching Twin Peaks like four years ago, and then I dropped off at the beginning of season two because I was very dumb. Um, and then I picked- You were or it was? I was. Okay. And then I picked it back up a little bit earlier this summer, and I just, like, I watched all of it, mm-hmm. and then the new series in the space of about a week. I went insane, but it was so good. Right, right, right. No, that's how I, I that's how I handled Handmaid's Tale, um, but instead of going insane, I just got really really sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, apologized to every woman I've ever met, in my whole life, for like an hour each. It's like, this isn't real, but I can't help but tell you how horrible I feel about it. Uh, it's kind of like when I walked out of Black Klansman. Like, I need to right? donate to a lot of stuff. <laughs> so much stuff. By the way, how great is that movie? Oh my god, it's, it's so good. So good. Um, it was amazing and funny, and then the last seven minutes happened. Oh my god! And then right? we're both just like crying, and like we can't talk to each other. Right? Like Spike Lee's just like, so I'm gonna show you this movie that's like intense but funny and you know meaningful. And by the way, here's seven minutes of real shit that's been going on for two years, and uh, you know, hope you don't kill yourself on the way home. <laughs> uh, we saw Sorry to Bother You last night. How good is that? Um. It's so fucking weird. I know. I realized that the reason it had not been spoiled for me online, because like... You can't... You you can't can't. talk about the movie without spoiling it in any way. Yeah. And even if you told me what was going to happen before I saw it, I wouldn't have believed you. No. No. Not at all. Um, Welcome to Brouhaha. (laughs) Yeah. uh, We have uh, Randall Lawrence in again for a Not Creepypasta episode. But actually, uh, speaking of movies, I... Uh, was gonna go see The Nun yesterday. I want to go see it so because bad. Movie Pass was covering it yesterday. Uh-huh. But then I realized that I had not done any research for this episode, so I uh. didn't. So that's why today we're gonna talk about ghost stories that have had movies based on them, with the caveat that they're completely bullshit because we don't have time to talk about the Einfield Poltergeist. I know, I have very strong opinions on it. I do too, both on the. Conjuring 2 mm. and the miniseries. I almost like The Conjuring 2 more than The First Conjuring. I don't. It hits don't. all of the points that I like. Stuff in the 60s, British stuff, ghost movies. I agree, but I agree with that part of your, your logic. The thing I don't agree with is that the movie, because 
the conjuring was written the original conjuring was written so long ago uh-huh. it was written in the style of like a late 80s early 90s movie but with a production value of something that came out in okay yeah no, that's fair for 2012 so it had the best of both worlds whereas the conjuring 2 they wrote it in like a year yeah, yeah. and then put it all together so it had current movie tropes which are basically just jump scares yeah which didn't really impress me but Marilyn Manson is the nun holy shit <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, and the whole the whole uh cold open with the Amityville house is amazing. That, and one of my favorite shots of any movie that's come out in the last several years is when they are talking to the ghost and so they have their backs turned to little girl yeah. and she slowly spoilers morphs into the old man and it's so subtle. But she gets dark and it gets dark around her. It gets right? dark. Yeah. And then she just like morphs into it, but you can barely tell unless you're like You've really got to be looking and I don't she doesn't morph necessarily as like takes on that. It's cla- not like an anamorph. Right, right, right. No, she takes on that classic trope of the, her face just getting like scaly yeah, almost, yeah. you know? She does that, the weird possession morphing that they do. Um, nonetheless, though, really, really badass scene. Yeah, um, I love it. And I'm very excited for The Nun. I have, I have high hopes for it. I've seen reviews. I've come to accept that. I will like period piece horror movies regardless of the reviews. I think The Quiet Ones was fucking amazing. I haven't seen that. Uh, it's like 60s England possession. Okay. I don't know. I have a soft spot for that. And like uh, Ouija, Ouija, Origin of Evil. I heard Ouija was actually really good. Ouija was terrible. We, the, the sequel one, the was good. One, right, right. Um, ghost stories that have had movies based on them. Uh, italicized byline that also involved the Warrens. Killing it. I feel like I should put a disclaimer because I still want Lorraine Warren to like me. Um, she's still alive. Yeah. She's real old. She's like 92. Oh, yeah. Um, she's real old. Sidebar. Uh, my friend who lives in L.A., I think he might be his old roommate at this point. One of his roommates was the son of one of the brothers that wrote The Conjuring. Oh. And they are from Hillsboro. Really? Yes. Is that... Oh, he just wrote it. He just wrote it. Okay, all right. I was going to say, that did not take place in Oregon. No, it did not. No. He just wrote it. He didn't, like, live it. Right. Um, also, there were no dudes in that story aside from Ron Levenstein. <sighs> and the poor man's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> <laughs> that's my buddy Luke's joke. <laughs> I can't help but use it, because that's absolutely Wait, 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 wait. The, the vaguely Asian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was nice. There was the, the cop, too. Yeah, was that, um... Was that fucking uh, the Stranger Things guy? No, 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 no. That's not the same. They look similar, though, right? I think they were just wearing the same outfit. Oh, okay, sure. No, I'm. <laughs> they were both, you know, state troopers. They were state troopers with beards, and they were tall, tall white dudes. Um, no, that man was. When I see him in my head right now, he looks like Porn Stash from Orange Is the New Black, and I know it wasn't him. I have not watched a single episode of that show, so I can't. His name is John Brotherton, who played Brad. Jesus, he is on Fuller House, and he was in Furious Seven. Of course, he was in both of those. And he was in Guardians of the Galaxy. We're gonna get sidetracked so much on the podcast, you guys. uh, Just so you know, we have three movies. uh, And we're gonna get through approximately half of one. I have six pages, which is probably the most because, uh, once again, I realized. Oh, happy twelfth episode, by the way. Um, <laughs> is it a dozen? Do we yeah. do it? Um, that's it. Podcast is over. I made cool. it to twelve. This is fun. I'm kind of not. I'm not that close to home, uh, <laughs> but I can probably walk from here. So I've come to realize that as much as I like finding stories and doing research, that is what I do in afternoonified. 
uh, I like taking stories from places like National Paranormal Association com and reading them to you. That sounds legit. So uh, we can make fun of the grammar and the phrasing. Yeah. And oh, that's all I'm going to do. And I can't be held responsible. <laughs> so this first one from paranormal, uh, National Paranormal Association com. I got so excited I couldn't. I could tell. Um, it's the Snedeker family haunting, which haunting in Connecticut was based on. Okay. Very, very loosely. I want to s- no, I saw an American haunting. You know. Oh, American haunting was not. It's good. really bad. So you know how there have been just a slew over the past, I'll say decade, over the past decade, there have been countless movies that's a haunting in, yeah, or the haunting of, um, just so many. There was that show on Lifetime TLC called A Haunting. Um, so were they toured haunted places? No, no. They had people tell their stories about being haunted. That's right. And they did the dramatic. Sh- yeah, they, did, they the did the really bad reenactments with people who looked nothing like the yes. people they were acting. Um, it. I used to watch it all the time. I did too. Um, like I would come home from the pool in the summer and just fucking watch a haunting yeah, all yeah, afternoon. Yeah. Um, and this actually was an episode of a haunting. Okay. But they uh, did it uh, as the haunting in Connecticut, which not a terrible movie. Like, it was my favorite when I was just getting back into horror movies, like, ten years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not as good as other haunting movies. Right, yeah. Other possession but movies definitely win. Yeah. But it still had some elements that, like, no one else has tried doing. Um, and it's based on a true quotation marks story. Very, very loosely true story. So let's start this article. And this article, I should mention, is written by someone who is very skeptical of the whole thing. So they give the facts, and then they just tear the living asshole out of it later. Know. It's a good first time to use that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, everybody. You heard it here first. I guess it's better than tearing the dead ass. <laughs> anyway, so in <laughs> 1986. Grab my water. Uh, in 1986, Carmen and Al Snedeker, I think that's how you pronounce it, or Snedeker. 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 I can see why they changed it for the movie. Uh, they moved to a small town, uh, Southington, Connecticut, with the purpose of being closer to the hospital at which their oldest son was being treated for Hodgkin's lymphoma. There's a cancer kid in this one, everyone. This is very uplifting so far. Yep. Uh, having fallen on heart, well, I guess with all ghost stories, the implication is that someone has died. So there have been dead people in every That's episode. That's true. Every possession movie does include a, a minimum of one dead person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was going to say The Haunting of Emily Rose, but literally that movie is about how Emily Rose is dead. Six people are haunting her. <laughs> six. So. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, six demons inside that lady. Having fallen on hard financial times, the family jumped at the chance to rent what appeared to be the perfect house. It was large enough for their family, which included three children and a cousin, who was also a child, I would like to add. Uh, and the rent was in their affordable price range. It was while they were moving that Al made a startling discovery. In the base So far, this is just a story about poor rent control. In 1986, yes. Uh, In the basement was a peculiar room that was complete with embalming tables and tools. The house, it turned out, used to be a funeral home. Moreover, the basement, which was sectioned into several rooms, was the only room deemed large enough to serve as the two boys' bedroom. Guess you have to sleep in the dead person storage. (laughs) Boys, before you go to bed, just know that mommy and daddy love you. And We're um, sorry we had to put sheets on the embalming table. Just so you're aware. 
we couldn't afford bed frames <laughs> or box springs. So we stacked the mattress on top of two embalming tables that were pushed together and over a thousand people have died and been uh, preserved in this room. Good night. Okay, <laughs> bye. Okay, <laughs> sweet dreams. Um, so uh, about the family, not long after, uh, Carmen said she began experiencing strange phenomena, like items disappearing and her children reporting seeing strange people in the house, as well as hearing voices and the sounds of hundreds of birds taking flight. Pretty standard haunting fare. Yep, yep. Her oldest, who was at the time in the middle of radiation treatment, began to exhibit radical personality shifts, becoming withdrawn and angry. He was also a teenager, but whatever. Um, he brooded and, and began... had cancer. And had cancer. <laughs> so just wait till this. Uh, he brooded and began writing poetry with necrophiliac themes. During a teenager with cancer. God, this story got dark. During one intense episode, he attacked his cousin with the intent to rape her. Mm-hmm. His family had him arrested and taken for an evaluation where How he was. Old was he? Uh, it didn't specify, but I believe in the movie at least he was like 15, 16. So not of age. Not of age, okay. no. And his cousin was about the same age. Uh, so they had him arrested, taken for evaluation, um, where he was pronounced schizophrenic. Okay. Which I buy that. Uh, definitely. Um, These are the sounds that schizophrenic people make. Just so you guys know. She's just painting it. She's bringing the story to life. That's what's happening. When you see someone on the street, just... Some people make soft laser sounds when they're like trying to look something just up. Just know and I make when you hear... Stupid duck noises. Someone may attack you on the street and with brooding poetry. About necrophilia. About necrophilia. Like, just, you know, all those things will follow. Uh, so uh, he was removed from the house and he seemed to get better until he returned. Uh, other phenomena were reported by the Snedekers, including the repeated and brutal rape of both Carmen and her niece, as well as acts of... I'm sorry, this is a little funny, but it's not funny. Okay, I'd like to hear your take on that. As well as a acts of sodomy being performed on her husband by unseen entities. So, like... It's not funny, but it's funny. So, like, Dan Aykroyd and Ghostbusters? Yeah, but in the butt. Oh, he got butt stuffed. Yep, sodomy. Does sodomy automatically mean butt stuff? I'm pretty sure it does. I thought it just meant... I didn't know that meant butt stuff. I need to know sodomy is specific to the That's butt. That's why it was illegal, like, is because it's something that the gays did and... Yeah, but we're not called sodomites, are we? In some circles. Mostly the circle of people who walk around Pioneer Square with signs saying that, you know, you're going to hell. I'll go to sodomy. <laughs> God, well, no. It's sexual intercourse involving anal or oral copulation. Okay, so either so a ghost butt stuff or, or mouth stuff. So it was either like that scene in Ghostbusters, but in the butt, or it was like that scene in Scary Movie Two, or just like that scene in Ghostbusters, or just like that scene in Ghostbusters, I guess. That Wait. was a beach. Yeah, yeah. Remember she she's floating above and then she starts to hover down before she disappears. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah. I want to rewatch Ghostbusters. So yeah, he was either. Uh, butt fucked or face fucked or like mouth fucked. or mouth fucked or the ghost was like in i don't know if the ghost may have been receiving could have been but like i kind of doubt it, it. i don't think he would complain ghosts if he don't was torture receiving. you by receiving except in that in, in ghostbusters that's not, that wasn't torture that's true yeah it's true that's a fair point so um on a completely different note mop water was reported to turn blood red and the scent of rotting flesh and decay were reported through the house probably just had a cat that died under there not the blood so red. Okay, so let's recap. Mm. So we've got a brooding teen writing uh, 
I want to fuck dead people poetry. And trying to attack his cousin. Tried to attack and rape his cousin. Uh, weird sounds. Weird sounds of birds taking flight and what was the second thing? It didn't specify. Okay. Uh, and then uh, shadowy figures around the house. Shadowy figures. Okay. So still could very much be a schizophrenia. Um, and then the dad was getting mouth or butt service. Yes. Uh, so were the ladies. Okay. So everybody is getting... Everybody is getting service. Everybody is getting... Uh, I don't think serviced is the word. Everybody is getting inappropriately ghost touched. Everybody is getting touchy. Ever touchy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm offensive and I can't talk. Uh, um, uh, there's the mop water. Mop water turning blood red. Bad smells. Bad smells. Bad smells is a tough one. Mop water turning red is weird. Well, we're about to get into uh, Carmen, the mom, uh, was also frightened of apparitions that she saw, one with long black hair and black eyes, and the other with white hair and eyes wearing a pinstripe tuxedo. And as a note from me that's not in this article, I heard that the pinstripe man, uh, he appeared as like uh, being a very tall, thin man, but his legs were always in motion. Interesting. So like still top and dancing bottom? That's kind of what I imagine. Or like a cartoon when they're getting ready to run and their legs oh, are just sure. a circle. But I don't think that was the case. If he had constantly active legs and a still top, that would be like one of the most unsettling things. Right? Uh, yeah. And they didn't put that in the movie. That's dumb. Uh, they had There are so many ways you could have fucked with people. On right. That. They had a plot line in the movie that was unrelated to, like they made it a specific story about the funeral home other than like this story, the real one, where it was just like, this used to be a funeral home. Because they had to make it like, Fucked up things happen in this funeral home, you know. Yeah, well, like you can you can very easily make it a funeral home and not have it be like the the coroner was fucking kids while he was embalming people and then f- killed the kids and then stuffed them inside. Dead. Like you don't have to do that. You don't. You know, it could just be where people died. Uh, the story in the movie or, that they, they they kind of took on was that the um coroner, not the coroner, the uh mortician oh yes there we go was like carving symbols into the bodies and like cutting their eyelids off and then performing like seances like he was doing some weird culty shit okay but he did not in real life i feel like you can't do that with an already dead body though i feel like the stuff you have to do to somebody they have it's to be a, alive it's a necrophilia it. thing okay yeah Le- so that's what it did. yeah okay some like weird D shit sure yeah, um, fucking Nash Twombo, that, that motherfucker. <laughs> Roll for corpse mutilation. <laughs> oh, critical hit. <laughs> you just carved the shit out of that body. Like. <laughs> you just fucked the shit right out of that body. Uh, so after she saw the man in the tuxedo with the legs, um, she decided to contact controversial paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. Of course, the Warrens. Who are nowhere near as hot in real life as they are in the movies. No, no. Because no one is as hot as Patrick Wilson. Yeah, and Vera Farmiga is Jesus. just... damn, that lady is amazing. She's so hot, they even got her little sister in one of the movies. Like, she oh, can't yeah, be in this one, right. we're gonna get the one that looks like her. I forgot. Yes, She ma'am. was in the second one, right? Tessa Farmiga? She's in The Nun. She in The Nun? Oh, that's, yeah, nun. that's right. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, she is a nun. <laughs> yeah. Shocking. Um, so along with John Zaffis, uh, who is an investigator, and a few other investigators, the Warren moved into the house for several weeks until they had experienced everything the Snedekers claimed. Which I don't know if that means Ed Warren took it up the butt, but <clears throat> they said everything. Anything for science. During their time in the house, they claimed to have seen firsthand the damage the quotation marks demons in the home could inflict, with many members being slapped, beaten, pushed, and slammed to the floor. Investigation into the house 
A history of the house supposedly revealed that one of the undertakers at the funeral home was found guilty of necrophilia, which fed the fuel to the fire. It got to the point that the worms deemed it necessary for a full-scale exorcism of the property, after which the house was judged cleared by the Warrens. I imagine them doing it in the same voice as the little lady in Poltergeist. Oh, sure. Um, hold on. I can do it as Ace Ventura. Cannot do it as Zelda, what her name I is. Have, I have watched, so she was in a movie called The Anguish, um, and then she was also in that, and then South Park does a brilliant parody of her. And I don't think that my voice is a high enough register to pull her off. Because, I mean, the Dead Celebrities episode is just like, these dead celebrities. But like, that's, yeah. as, that's as high as I can get. Yeah, I can do Ace Ventures. Like, I have exercised the demons. This house is clear. I like that impression. <laughs> Literally my favorite part of any Ace Ventura movie, including where he's doing the shadow puppets on the guy during the I didn't care presentation. That for that that much, my favorite moment is probably when he is in the asylum with the tutu oh my god yes that's a brilliant and and just in the pool in snowflakes tank <laughs> when he t- was uh god <laughs> sakes i'm a doctor not a pool man <laughs> so good uh or when he was doing the german accent talking to the reporters of uh, as heinz gets velvet yes yeah i know his name <laughs> so back to this haunting and yeah. lorraine warren yeah, and they did. They cleared the house with an exorcism. Um, with the evil banished from the house, that should have been the end of the story, but it wasn't. Oh, because the exorcism didn't work? No. Oh, and shocking. And also because there's like a full page left of this story. Oh, okay. Uh, like another Warren investigation, the infamous, infamous Lutz house in Amityville, which we're going to talk about at some point, uh, there have been numerous claims by people who have lived in the house, both before and after the Snedeker family, uh, who say that there have never been any evil entities in the house. In fact, the family's claim to have no knowledge that the home was once a funeral parlor was refuted by the house's owner. Perhaps the most damning evidence, their word, not mine, uh, was that the whole event was a hoax that... Blah, blah, blah. Damning evidence that the whole event was a hoax came from horror novelist Ray Garten, who was contracted to write a book called In a Dark Place huh. uh, with the Warrens I buy and the all that. Mm-hmm. I buy that entirely. Oh, I listened to the Amityville audio audiobook and i know it's bullshit but it's a good audiobook jay ansel knows what he's doing yeah i mean it it's so easy to write a book like that and then also i mean the ronnie DeVeo murders actually happen oh yeah 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 but yeah there's nothing to substantiate that anything happened after that no and everything they're claiming happened in the house doesn't sound like it was related to the murders at all i don't know much about that case past well you're gonna know more oh than you that's right <laughs> um Plus, I'll get to talk at length about the uh, Ryan Reynolds remake of Amityville Horror. I am so down to talk <coughs> about the Ryan Reynolds remake. I was scared of him for a while after that. He, uh, that movie. He is, acted his ass off. Yeah, and that movie, for all, all, for all, all intents and purposes, not that bad. No, no, really no. Really not that bad. Um, mostly because they took the story of Amityville and changed it so it was like a better backstory. Right, right, right. Um. Papa in a dark place with the Warrens and the Snedekers. According to Garden, it was difficult to write the true story because none of the involved parties could keep their stories straight. It seemed everyone was contradicting everyone else. That's why you have a story Bible at all times. <laughs> <laughs> Not that hard. He went to Ed Warren with the problem, and Garden wrote a post dated April 27, 1999. Begin quote. He told me not to worry, that the family was crazy. I was shocked. He said, all the people who come to us are crazy. You think sane people would come to us? 
He knew I'd written a lot of horror novels prior to that, so he told me to just make up, make the story up using whatever details I could incorporate into the book and make it scary. Ed Warren said this. Yes. Cool. End quote. Fucking scam artist. Furthermore, others who lived in the house during and prior to the same time have a similar stories to tell. Sure, they say there were a few odd occurrences, but nothing near the scale the Snedekers claimed. Many point to the Warrens as instigators and others as enablers. <sighs> I mean, they got, I have to imagine they got paid pretty decently to do what they did. Like, they weren't working for free. I don't know specifically. Um, I do know that they did, like, press and stuff, and I have to imagine they got paid for that and for their books, but I don't know if they were offering, like, consultations for free to keep up their image. Like, I have a feeling, like, the the Conjuring portrayed it, uh, it, what seems to be pretty accurate. Like, they would go places that were local enough yeah, just for quick consultations, but if you had to do some shit, like, they charge you. Yeah. Um, There's no way that they, they – because that's all they did. That was their That was work. their job. Um, yeah, and they, like, obviously made money off of book tours and stuff. Right, yeah, yeah they yeah. toured colleges and whatnot, too. <laughs> I'm assuming. I'm sorry, just that college tour. Like, being the student union that was right. like, let's get the Warrens Let's get in. the Warrens in. You know, you know uh, this, this institution of learning and truth and knowledge? Let's bring the Warrens in. <laughs> yeah, because the one that they have that has, like, the most proof backed, uh, they kind of spruced it up for the movie because... And The I Conjuring would be that one, right? Uh, the Conjuring 2 is the oh, one. Oh, it's the one that they have the most proof for. That they have the most proof for. It's one of the most highly documented documented polar, uh, Polaroid cases. Poltergeist <laughs> cases um, ever. A lot of Polaroids in that motherfucker. Actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what happened was, and I'm glad they made it because it's a good story, even if it's not the fully accurate story. Uh, they made it because Warner Brothers didn't have the rights to most of the Warrens' stories and hauntings. Okay. So they used what they had and make it made it a Conjuring movie. Oh. Interesting. Yes, because it worked better as a Conjuring sequel because the Conjuring movies are fucking great and James right. Wan is a talented motherfucker. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. they were like, well, we have this one that they technically were involved with, but they didn't have... Like, they didn't have the rights to, to the uh, Snedeker haunting, because I think that was, uh, uh, fuck, Paramount? Right, uh, so, for the the Conjuring 2, their role was very much embellished in the movie. They showed up for understand. two days uninvited. Right, and they didn't do anything. No. Yeah. No. Uh, like, most of it was actually done by that cop. Uh, most of it in the Einfield case was done by... Is it Einfield or Enfield? Einfield, I think. Yeah, fuck, it doesn't matter. Um, it was mostly done by, what was his name? What was his name? Um, the guy who played Wormtail in the Harry Potter movies played him in the, the Hulu yeah. miniseries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morris Gross. Okay. He was he was most of the manpower behind it. I was going to say, he seemed to have done that everything. That was all him. And then at the end, it just didn't get better. They brought in some Swedish people. Uh-huh. who exercised the house or talked to Janet or something, and then it just stopped. Huh. Um, Janet did say that she faked, what was it, 1%, but if you look at her in interviews, she looks fucked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one else will talk about it. So that's why that one has more of an air of credibility to it that I'm like willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. Sure, sure, sure. And for funer- the home was indeed once a funeral parlor, and it's true that in the 1980s a family lived there who reported having various ghostly experiences, but there's little evidence to back these claims. 
there are still a few residents in the neighborhood who live there at the same time as the reputed haunting. Oh, it's still the same. Okay, cool. <laughs> this is still the same. Go on. Still haunting in Connecticut. Uh, those who re- I'm almost done. Those who remember the events write off the claims of a haunting and cite the fact that the electrical service was prone to interruptions, many caused by an old tree whose branches had grown long enough to occasionally brush against the uninsulated power lines. So, like, their lights flickered. Um, one account of the haunting involves the story of a tree branch catching fire and falling during an exorcism ritual, a story that seems less demonic in view of the power line situation. Yeah, brush up against uninsulated power lines. You're going to get lit the fucking fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, another aspect of the movie and the stories which preceded it had to do with the funeral home that had previously occupied the house. The Hallahan funeral home was run by the Hallahan family. Weird. Uh, members of the family still live in the community, and many residents have relatives whose wakes and burials were handed, handled by the Hallahan funeral home. And there have been uh, accusations surrounding the owners of the funeral home. Uh, these rumors, not inclu- not surprisingly, include fantastic claims of satanic worship and even necrophilia. A few who live in the community have investigated these claims, looking through old newspapers and asking some of the longtime residents if they'd ever heard such claims. All indications are at that these stories were entirely made up, and those who knew and worked with the operators of the funeral service remember the operators as being honest, respectable, and ordinary. Not a single corpse was fucked in that home. I believe it. I believe that those people were crazy. And then a fiction writer did. I mean, they essentially just had Stephen King in there. It was God. like, hey, I'm going to write some <laughs> fucked up shit. And Ed Warren was like, yeah, you should do that because my name will be in it. I mean, that's exactly money. what he did for the Stanley Hotel. Mm-hmm. All right. Amityville. Yeah. Let's, let's stand up and do a little bit of stretching <laughs> of the legs. For those of you who don't know, we've got a six-foot cord. It is literally six feet, like measured. Very nice eye. Yeah. I, I've bought a few of these before. All right, so the Amityville Horror. Um, and this is courtesy of www.the13thfloor.tv. I feel like I have been on that website. I'm sure you have. I feel like I've been on it at least once. Uh, so it was around 6.30 p.m. on November 13th, 1964, when 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo ju- walked into Henry's Bar in Amityville, Long Island, frantically shouting, I'm not doing the accent because he's from Long Island. Uh, You gotta help me. I think my mother and father are shot. (laughs) When Ronald arrived at 112, 11-12, I guess? 112? Whatever. Ocean Avenue with a small group from the bar, they found both his mother and father lying in bed. Both had been fatally shot. As they searched the house further, they found the dead bodies of Ronald's four siblings, 18-year-old Don, 13-year-old Allison, 12-year-old Mark, and 9-year-old John Matthew. They, too, were found in their beds, the cause of death being gunshot wounds. Ronald DeFeo Jr. initially placed the blame on a mob hitman, which makes sense if you know the backstory of the family, because Ronnie DeFeo was actually in with the mob. I did not know that. They are super Italian. That's also a super mob way to kill people. Right? Um, But as the police continued to question him, the real killer became apparent. Ronald eventually confessed to slaying his entire family and offered little explanation. Okay. I got to stop you there. Please do. Recently, I watched a documentary. Um, I forgot exactly what it was called. And then something else that was, was it Evil Genius? Anyway, there's a documentary on Netflix that talks all about false confessions mm-hmm. and how police coax people into getting false confessions mm-hmm. so they can just close the case. This may very well be that. There is a chance. Um, except he. 
he said a lot of stuff in prison that was very incriminating. Like, he kept changing his story. He blamed, like, Dawn and stuff. Like, she was helping him, but, like, why was she dead? And he tried to blame a demon uh, possession and whatnot. So After a while? After a while. Okay. I remember in the Ryan Reynolds movie, that's something that, like, came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something they were like, this is exactly why it happened with, like, nothing in between. Yep. Um, uh, so he stated, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Uh, one year later, Ronald was found guilty of six counts of second-degree murder and given six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. I do not know if he's still alive. He was 23 and 62? 64? Yeah. He's probably still alive. He's 40. I mean, he'd be in his 50, 70s 70. by now. So I'll check. Yep. You keep reading. I will keep record. reading. <laughs> There's so much. Uh, on December 19th, 1975, so about 13 years later, yeah. Um, George and Kathy Lutz, along with their three children, I thought it was a lot sooner that Ronnie DeFeo killed his family and then the Lutzes moved in. I want to say it was December 19th, 1965, as opposed to 75. He's alive. Jesus. Still in prison, I assume. He is 66 years old. Oh. He was not 23. He was born September... Wait. Yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie DeFeo Jr., was born September 26th of 1951. So if it took place in 64, he was 13 years old. Okay, so this movie, or this uh, story, took place in 74 and 75. Yeah, yeah. Way to go, 13floor.tv. <laughs> um, so on December 19th, 1975, George and Kathy Lutz, along with their three children, Daniel, who was nine, Christopher, who was seven, and Melissa, who was five, moved into the notorious home. Uh, arriving at the home, they found that most of the DeFeo furniture was still in the house, sitting just as it had been on the night of the murder. Uh, sidebar, only their mattresses had been moved, because obviously uh, there was body stuff on the mattresses. Body stuff. I'm reading. I'm kind of uh, skimming through the Wikipedia here, and there's things that are coming to light where I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, when George learned the history of the home, he insisted on having it blessed, despite the fact that he and his wife were non-practicing Christians. The couple located a Catholic priest who agreed to bless the house. As the Lutzes unpacked their belongings, the priest went about the house anointing everything in holy water. Just as he started blessing the home, he claimed to hear a disembodied voice say, Get out. I do not know the inflection of the get out, whether it was like a get out or a get out. Get weave. Christ. <laughs> I just washed that. You're going to get spots on it. <laughs> As the priest left, he warned the Lutzes to be wary of the second floor room where he heard the voice. He did not get attacked by flies like he did in the movie. I just want to make that clear. Uh, not long after his visit, the priest became severely ill, breaking out in strange, unexplained blisters on his hands and feet. Aside from the weird voice, the first few days in the home were uneventful for the Lutzes. The first indication that something was amiss came a few weeks later when a swarm of flies suddenly appeared in the house. Soon afterwards, George Lutz found himself... It wasn't a few weeks later. 13floor.tv. It was a few days later. It's like they've never even read the book. Uh, soon afterwards, George Lutz found himself waking up at 3.15 in the morning every day. He found out that this was the time that the DeFeo murders had occurred. Kathy Lutz began experiencing vivid nightmares about the DeFeo murders. Soon the entire family was experiencing paranormal activity. The youngest daughter, Melissa, became friends, this is my favorite part, with an imaginary pig-like creature named Jody. <laughs> Jody. Whom George believed he had seen with a child on at least one occasion. Then George found the, quote, red room, unquote, a room hidden inside a closet that George claimed stunk of rotten flesh and excrement. 
Terrified, George decided to bless the house himself. Holding the crucifix, George walked from room to room reciting the Lord's Prayer, all while the disembodied voices supposedly screamed for him to stop. On January 14th, 1976, the Lutzes finally moved out of the home. So yeah, it wasn't a few weeks. It was a few was days. It, was it via a speedboat? <laughs> Heading... Uh, Full speed away from the no the no no. Um, in the movie, they made it look like it was a very rural house. In actuality, it was just a fucking neighborhood. Yeah, I don't think that house is even on a lake. It is. Is it? It is. Okay. Um, it's just, it's it's not a big house. Yeah, I've seen pictures. I mean, it looks it looks like a, a normal, like northeast yeah. coast house. Um, the windows that look like eyes in the front of it actually. They didn't actually have those, um, but then they had so many people stopping by to like take pictures of it that they got new windows. I looked at pictures. They're not on the front. They're on the side. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 I'll hmm. pull it up. Um, this is a very abridged version because, you know, uh, the home has changed hands several times since Lutz family moved out. However, it has still remained a destination for the curious, uh, never being able to shake the haunted reputation. Try and escape the notoriety and avoid ghost hunters. In 1977, the address was changed from 112 to 108 Ocean Avenue, which I didn't know you could do. Oh, okay. So, in regards to the eyes, um, I think they remodeled it and it no longer has those yes. eyes. Because, like, it did. Yes. In 1987, the iconic half-moon windows at the top level were replaced with square ones. There you go. In 2010, the new owners purchased the home for $1.5 So far, there has been no word of new paranormal activity. Um, Annabelle is a long story. <laughs> have we have we maxed out? No, we can still do it. Okay. Um, that's why Amityville was so short because I have a feeling that I'm going to revisit it at some point. We can tear apart the movie. I did not like the original because it was a slow ass '70s horror movie. The uh, James Brolin one. Yep. Yeah. I didn't see it. I know. Margot Kidder was very beautiful, and that was about all it had going for right. it. I know. Yeah, just like anything else, the the effects were cheesy and whatnot. I'm. I like the Ryan Reynolds version. I do too. It, I don't know. It they took a different like, this guy fucked with Native Americans and then this house is haunted for it and that's why DeFeo killed his family. Like right. that all checks out. It had it had a really cool storyline. I liked it a lot. I also like the idea of retelling that story without the haunting and just having it be a mob hit. Yeah. And also something I skimmed over was that Ronnie killed his dad to get the insurance money yeah life insurance money yeah like, that checks out yeah that definitely if they're checks involved out. in the mob like there's a totally something you would have done yeah um yeah th- i mean there were a lot of interesting things that they claimed happened with that haunting like george saw kathy turn into an old woman before right. his eyes and um there's that famous the Lutz family is essentially the family that solidified it being a haunting oh yeah house. no they're the only people yeah, who said yeah. there was a haunting uh the most that you get from people who aren't that immediate family are friends and family who came over and like this house is weird yeah, These yeah. These people were murdered in it. Yeah. It's exactly. a weird energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want that story to be true, especially the part where he drills half into the windows so the spirits do the rest of the drilling when the family's trying to run away. Like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> Let yeah. the ghosts do the rest of your murder. That's yeah, great. movie good, real haunting didn't happen. Right. Uh, the book about the real, quote, haunting by Jay Ansel, pretty fucking good. Okay. Um, Because... He came up with the story in conjunction with the Lutzes. Um, I think they said they did it overnight with a bottle of wine or something. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Which very easily could have just turned into George Lutz's being, you know what you should write? <laughs> you should put in there that, like, okay, so we leave the boathouse, right? And then there's a screaming little girl in the foyer, and she just gets pulled into the floor. 
30, 40 years before that movie. That's what you should do. If it ever gets made into a movie, and that's something that movies can do, that's an interesting movie. But you should also tell them flies came in, and uh, my my wife turned into an old hag. And also, I want to be played by Deadpool. It's perfect. It's perfect. Um, the second Deadpool, though, not the first one. The first one was don't don't give it that. Who's the first Deadpool? Huh? Still Ryan Reynolds. Oh yeah. Okay. When he was Wade in X Men Origins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie with the perfect gambit and nothing else. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, you mean the movie where they sewed Deadpool's mouth shut? Yeah. It, oh, and God. then put like weird BMW circuitry on him. It's true. So let's talk about Annabelle. And I feel like the reason this article is so well written is because it's from an actual dot com. <laughs> uh, birth it's not a WordPress. From birthmoviesdeath.com. So, you know, Breitbart is also a dot com. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's set our expectations. I mean, they can have well written articles. That doesn't mean they're correct. No, no, <laughs> no. No, they can't. Nope. Nope. It's pure trash. Annabelle. By the way, I just lost you your whole alt right base, fan base. Good. That's good. There you go. Um, I feel like we lost them ages ago. <laughs> uh, when they realized that I was a woman. Um, director James Wan redesigned Annabelle for the movie, giving her a much more disturbing appearance. But yes. in real life, Annabelle was just your run-of-the-mill Raggedy Ann doll. Yep, I have which seen pictures of that. the people holding the copyright to Raggedy Ann were like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> for good reason. Wait, you want to turn our products into what? And put it on what? No. No. <laughs> You're out of your fucking mind. That's fine. We'll just make her into a doll that no one would actually own. I mean, to be fair, I could see why people would own it in the like in the condition it was in, in the first one. Yeah, no, if it was in the condition that it was in the first one, and um, and porcelain dolls weren't the creepiest fucking thing imaginable. It's true. Uh, and in the actual movie Annabelle, when she was like, "I'm missing this one from the set," I get it. I get it. Right. Those are expensive ass dolls. However, let's yeah, let's press on and then tear it apart a little more. Uh, Donna got Annabelle from her mother in 1970. Mom bought. The, I don't know why I'm referring to her as like mom. <laughs> My mom bought the used doll at a hobby store, uh, so they got that right in the movie. Uh, Donna was a college student at the time, living with a roommate named Angie, and at first neither thought the doll was anything special, but over time they noticed Annabelle seemed to move on her own. At first, it was really subtle. Just changes in position. The kinds of things that could be written off as the doll just being jostled. Uh, good usage of the word, do- good, jostled. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, but the movement increased, and within a few weeks, it seemed to be fully mobile. <laughs> Don't know why I imagined it with a tiny car. <laughs> <laughs> you should have. I agree with that choice. Uh, the girls would leave the apartment with Annabelle on Donna's bed and return home to find it on the couch. Their friend Lou hated the doll. Good man, Lou. Uh, He thought there was something deeply wrong with it. Something evil. But the girls were modern women and didn't believe that sort of thing. (laughs) I can't tell if that's feminist or not. I I feel like The girls were modern women and didn't believe it. Is that progressive? I think so. Okay. (laughs) It's like backhanded progressiveness. Something like that. These fucking ladies didn't believe in bullshit. We're modern independent women and (laughs) we aren't afraid of no ghost. Uh, There must be an explanation, they reasoned, but soon Annabelle's actions got even weirder. Donna began to find pieces of parchment paper in the house, really, with messages written on it. Help us, they would say, or help Lou. Oh, poor Lou. Jesus Christ. 
Lou was uh, doing great up until now. Lou just hated the. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, help uh, Lou like us. Uh, this is the best line. Just to make the whole thing much creepier, nobody in the house had parchment paper. And I quote from the article: "Where the hell was it coming from?" <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know a good opinion piece. <laughs> well, it was fucking parchment paper. Where does a raggedy end get parchment? That's a good question. And the raggedy general store. <laughs> Oh, uh, mail order. Perfect. Yep. Amazon. They had that in the sixties. Definitely. Uh, the escalation continued. One night, Donna returned returned home to find Annabelle in her bed with blood on her hands. The blood, or some sort of red liquid, seemed to be coming from the doll itself. That was enough. Donna finally agreed to bring in a medium. The sensitive sat with the doll and told the girls that long before their apartment complex had been built, there had been a field on that property. A seven-year-old girl named Annabelle Higgins had been found dead in that field. Her spirit remained, and when the doll came to the house, the girl latched onto it. She found Donna and Angie to be trustworthy. She just wanted to stay with them. Being sweet nurturing types, they were both nursing students, Donna and Angie agreed to let Annabelle stay with them, and that's when all hell broke loose. So for following along at home, with, with the movies at least, and Annabelle, the beginning, this is the girl that gets hit in the car by the car in the beginning, or is this the girl in the wheelchair? Annabelle was, was uh, the little girl named Annabelle? Like the one that got hit by the car? I think she was. I think the little girl was Annabelle, and he named the doll Annabelle after his dead daughter. I'm going to have to rewatch, but I think that... Got trusty phones here. I think it's a, it's a demon that's calling itself Annabelle because it wanted the... One of the kids is named. One of those two girls is named Annabelle. Yeah, I know it. Um, I think what happened in the movie, if I'm remembering correctly, is that the little girl got hit by the car, and then they were like, "We'll bring the doll." And then a demon came into the doll and was like, "I'm Annabelle, your dead daughter." But it wasn't. Right, right, right. That sounds familiar. And then it fucked up Eowyn's face. And years earlier, a couple seven-year-old daughter Annabelle died in a tragic car accident. Okay. So okay. So according to the movie, uh, that's how that happened. Because you said the girl, girl Annabelle, was found dead in a field. Yeah. Um. But in the the James Wan cinematic universe, right? Um, the J W A N, yeah, which includes Aquaman and the Furious Seven, it was the little girl was in the doll before it came to the the place. But in the actual story, a girl died in the field and they brought the doll home, so the doll had no previous history of being fucked up. Okay, now I'm thinking back on Annabelle creation, and I'm trying to figure out where the demon came in in the first place. I think they were like the parents were sad, and they were like, "Let's pray or open something up." Oh, that's right. The mom tells that story when she takes off her half her face. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's like, "Yeah, we we prayed, we tried to do a séance with the doll and bring Annabelle back, and it fucked up our whole life." Yeah, okay. The Conjuring had the original story pretty much as is. But they had to retcon a backstory for Annabelle because they don't think they anticipated needing to give her an origin story. Right. Which, thank fucking Christ, they redid their redo. I like how at the end of Annabelle creation, they explain the first ten minutes the best part of Annabelle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a very good job of tying those two together. I like that a lot. The thing that I'm realizing now, too, is he's carrying the nun theme through. Because if you remember, the nun is the one that pushed the girl in the wheelchair into the barn to get possessed. Oh, shit. Remember that? Oh, shit. She looks up, and there's a nun, but you can't see her face. It's all connected. And there was a nun in a photo in Annabelle Creation yeah. that the the other nun. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to have my own Pepe Sylvia uh, <laughs> board. 
Sister's full of nuns in here. Travis is going to come home and it's just going to be Sharpie and string. <laughs> You're just smoking cigarettes. Looking for Barney. <laughs> it's a non-smoking building, so I'm going to have like candy cigarettes. <laughs> blowing powdered sugar. <laughs> Boxes full of nuns is the episode title. <laughs> Oh, shit. That's so, uh, all hell broke loose. You uh, don't say. <laughs> Lou started, the story and this podcast, uh, Lou started having bad dreams. Dreams where Annabelle was in his bed, climbing, oh God, climbing up his leg as he lay frozen. Oh. Sliding up his chest to his neck and closing her stuffed hands around his throat. It feels like whoever wrote this article had just watched Arachnophobia, like immediately before writing it. They're just like, yeah, that spider scene where he's crawling up the dude's leg. Let's make the doll do that. Uh, so she closed her stuffed hands around his throat, choking him out. He would wake up terrified, head pounding like all blood had been cut off to his brain. And this is a quote from the article. He was freaking out. Full stop. He was worried about the girls. <laughs> a few days later, he and Angie were hanging out, planning a road trip when they heard someone moving around in Donna's room. They froze. That's was right. It, yeah, that's part of the movie, too. Was it a break-in? Was there an intruder in the apartment? Lou crept to the door, listening to rustling within. He threw open the door, and everything was as it should be, except Annabelle was off the bed, sitting in a corner. As he approached the doll, Lou was consumed with that feeling, a burning in the back of his neck that indicates something was staring at you, and he spun around. By the way, if I'm not mistaken, in Annabelle creation, he stores the doll in a room that is covered with Bible pages, doesn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that's after... In the James Wan, the uh, the JWCU, um, they have conducted the seance, realized they fucked up, and then put her away forever. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, Sorry, go on. James Wan Cinematic Universe, also a good title for this, and I feel like it might draw in listenership. Ooh, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> God, I have derailed this thing like nine times. Oh, man, that's great. what this whole podcast is about. The stories are just... A happy coincidence. <laughs> uh, so we felt like someone was watching him. No one was. Uh, the room was empty, and sudden, there was a sudden pain in his chest. He looked at his shirt and saw a series of raking claw marks, uh, rough ditches in his flesh that burned. He knew Annabelle had done it. It's a demon. That's, like, textbook. Uh, the weird claw marks began healing almost immediately. They were totally gone in two days. They were, like, just sentences of describing these wounds they knew they needed more help and turned to an episcopalian they had to get a priest of the hardest to pronounce oh uh, yes the, episcopalian the uh hardest line catholics the episcopalians uh, the ones you regularly see on the news an episcopalian priest who tur in turn called ed and lorraine warren it didn't take the warrens long to come to their i didn't even mention the warrens once in amityville but they were there that was like their big break uh, it didn't take the Warrens long to come to their conclusion. There was no ghost in this case. There was an inhuman... Sp I read that as inhuman shit. But <laughs> it's inhuman spirit. A demon attached to the doll. But they warned that the doll was, wasn't possessed. Demons don't possess things, only people. It was clinging to the doll, manipulating it in order to give the impression of a haunting. The target was really Donna's soul. I feel like that was like a direct quote from The Conjuring. We're almost out it of the is, woods. actually. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the scene where they're like doing the the recap and like I feel like something terrible is tormenting your family. 
That's one of the lines she says when her voice is all echoey for no reason. Ugh. God bless that movie. I love that movie so much. A priest performed an exorcism on the apartment. Look at the kitty. Really, Lucy? Look at the kitty. <laughs> you are such a whore, and it's so cute. Come on, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, I get it. I can't touch you, and I want to. Uh, a priest performed an exorcism on the apartment. The Warrens took possession of the doll. They put it in a bag and began the long drive home. Ed agreed to stay off highways because there was a concern that a demon might, and I quote, fuck with the car, end quote. <laughs> And at 65 miles an hour, that would be disastrous. And sure enough, as they drove on the back roads, the engine kept cutting out, the power steering kept failing, and the brakes gave them trouble. Ed opened the bag, sprinkled it all with holy water, and the disturbances stopped for the moment. Uh, Ed left the doll next to his desk. It began levitating. It happened a couple of times, and then it just seemed to finally quit, laying quiet. But in a couple of weeks, Annabelle was back to her old tricks. She st- <laughs> She started appearing in different rooms in the Warrens' home. Oh, that old rascal. (laughs) Sensing that the doll was ramping back up, the Warrens called in a Catholic priest because Episcopalians just weren't cutting it. A Catholic priest to exercise Annabelle. The priest didn't take it seriously, telling Annabelle, you're just a doll. You can't hurt anyone. Big mistake. On his way home, the priest's brakes failed and his car was totaled in a horrible accident. He survived. This is the end of the Annabelle story. Eventually, the Warrens build a lock case for Annabelle, and she resides there to this day. The lock case seems to have kept the doll from moving around, but it seems like that whatever terrible entity is attached to it is still there, biding its time, ready for the day when it can again be free. And those are our stories. You know, one thing about the Annabelle movies I didn't like was the fact that they showed the demon. In Annabelle Creation? Very briefly. Yes. In, in Annabelle Creation, you see the demon when she is hiding underneath the floorboards in the barn. Yes. She looks over and it's like creeping underneath, like staring at her face. And I'm like, it was the same one from the from the first Annabelle. And for some reason that bummed me out. It was like, oh, this is the same thing. Like you guys made a vastly better movie, but used this same image that kind of fucked with the first one in the first place. I do not remember the look of the demon well enough. Black, all black. Um, for some reason, the only demon image I can conjure from uh, Annabelle Creation is when there was something under the sheet and then there wasn't anything under the sheet, which oh sure yeah really fucked with me. But my brain also likes to pick like weird shots from horror movies to just like get really creeped out by. Okay, so the best shot in the first Annabelle, the bad one, is when um, the lady is standing. I think it's a lady. She's standing in the bedroom, and she sees the little girl as the parlor door is swinging. Mm-hmm. And it swings closed, and the door starts, like, little girl starts running. Mm-hmm. And then she hits the door and turns into the, the demon lady. Mm-hmm. That was the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it was so rad. There are a lot of things about that first movie that are good. And this is going to not go back to the story. We're just on the movie now. Yeah, the story's over. Yeah. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said it perfectly. The first ten minutes are amazing. Yeah, uh, it had that Charles Manson element. Yeah, that I loved. Uh, you don't have any new ghost stories, like personal ghost stories, right? Since what did you, I tell last time? Uh, the one where the bathroom phone rung in the hotel. Right. And then you guys were in the woods in Joshua Tree. Joshua Tree. Uh, that would be the woods would be the desert. Yes. Um, did I tell the story of my buddy waking up to the girl at his bed? Yes. Okay. No, I don't have – Dan Weber has a couple really good ones, but I don't want to steal those stories. If you ever get him, I'll let him tell those. Yeah, the first ten minutes of Annabelle were great. They're genius. I mean, the whole – the shot from their bedroom 
of those two going and murdering the neighbors yes. and then the lights going out just as the other people wake up was so unsettling. Yes. It was such a well-crafted scene. Um, yeah. Beginning of Annabelle, shut it off as soon as uh, that scene ends and you're good. As soon as they move, it just takes a nosedive. Yeah, it really does. It really does. They don't they don't care to like actually do anything clever. It's all yeah. just standard horror tropes and like really bad writing. Yeah, uh, it disappointed me because once again they had a good cast, they had a good yeah. concept, and they they had they had a story. Well, they didn't have a story, but they had an antagonist, a built-in antagonist that they very easily could have utilized in the same style and just didn't. Yeah, I felt like the movie was less about the doll at, at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it, was well, like, it was very much not. It was like the moment. doll's here, but now you're being haunted. Yeah. Like, yeah, the doll, the doll was just, I mean, like the doll was supposed to be, it was just a catalyst for more stuff. But the movie's called fucking Annabelle. Yeah. It's not called this creepy doll lives in a in an apartment that is haunting me. Yeah. You know. Um, my favorite, like the link between the two, was that the little girl that made it out of Annabelle Creation Alive ended up joining a Manson style cult. Right. Um, that was. <coughs> It was brilliant. Super well tied together. You know, they did a very, very good job, especially showing the footage from Annabelle 2. Yeah. Not even, like, making the loose connections and having the audience just figure it out, but showing that footage was really powerful. Was the really retcon was amazing. Um, and I like that you kind of have to watch the Annabelle movies like you would watch the Star Wars movies. Right. Where it's three, two, one, and then the Einfeld doesn't really have anything to do with it. Yeah, I mean... I I find that The Conjuring 2 is a it's a good sequel mm-hmm. and is a decent movie on its own. Yes. But for The Conjuring itself, I don't feel that it was that strong. It did have different writers. It did. Yes. And that's why I I I was a little bummed out by it. Yeah, I like the fact that it, w- it took place in Britain, it took place in the 60s yeah. and uh the little girl was she was extremely tolerable, and she yeah, she was really really good. Too. She acted her fucking. She's American. Off. She's really well. Yeah. Um, also, the scene of her in her room with all the crosses flipping upside down on her own is yes. terrifying. Um, <laughs> it's really really well done. I think it was Marcus Parks from last podcast who described it as being less of a horror movie and more of like a Christian superhero movie. Yeah. Uh, and I I get that. I still like it. Sure, sure. But sure. it makes sense. And again, Marilyn Manson is the nun. Like he's not the nun though. He is. No, he's not. I promise you. Marilyn Manson was not in the in the nun and he was not No, no, no. I'm not saying he was in the nun. I'm saying he's the nun in Conjuring 2. Um holy shit, they're making a Conjuring 3. Yeah. Nice. Uh a lady named Bonnie Aarons was the demon nun. Uh Joseph Bashara is also uh credited as being a demon. Uh he was the lipstick face man from Insidious. And also the composer for all of those movies. B.S. No Marilyn Manson. Hold your tits. I could have sworn he was in this movie. Also, I lied. The Conjuring 2 was written by the Hayes brothers, who also wrote The Conjuring 1. Okay. Just very, very different. Yep. So I am just wrong all over the place. Okay. I think I was wrong, too. And I just read a bunch of stuff where people were like, holy shit, that looks just like Marilyn Manson. It does. It does. Um, I think it's... A lady is Marilyn Manson is the nun. <laughs> so um, I won't look this up myself because it uh, it still terrifies me to this day. 
But if you look up there um, from The Exorcist, the specifically the uncut version, the original theatrical version did not have this in it. Is the the superimpositions of the demon face? Yes. Yeah, so the first one specifically. Yes. That one, like I saw it recently at the Hollywood. They did not recently. It was last year. Um, <laughs> they did a showing of The Exorcist with a Q and A with Linda Blair afterwards. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, it was cool. Linda Blair is an insane person. How She's the Fuck did I miss that? She's batshit crazy. God damn it. Um, Now, I know precisely when in the movie Mm -hmm. that shows up. Exactly Mm -hmm. when. When she's getting an exam, she's lying on her back, and the nurse is like, is everything okay? And then she turns away, and her eyes get wide, and it flashes to that for a split second. And that that image has stuck with me my whole life. I can't go back and look at it. Um, terrifies me. The two, reason- two things. Mm-hmm. I uh, watched that movie with intense criticism because we did an episode of Afternoonified about uh, uh, haunted films. Okay. Um, and that one has a very, very deep history of being so much. very haunted. Um, also, I've done that makeup before. <laughs> of like Linda the Blair? demon of the oh, demon shit. makeup. Yeah. Wait, of the the face or yeah, Linda of the Blair? face, not okay. Linda Blair. I think I might have tried Linda Blair, but I didn't have enough uh, wax. You've got to put teeth on for that, right? Um, Doesn't that demon have pointy teeth? No, uh, she just has real fucked up, like, smoker's teeth. Okay. Um, but it's such simple makeup, but oh my god. It's all just white with black circles around the eyes. Pretty much, and there's, like, some red definition going. Yeah. I don't know why I'm gesturing to my eyes, because this fine. is a... If, have you looked up the lady who is that face? Uh, is it Mercedes? I think so. She's gorgeous the like the voice of the demon right no 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 no. the face of the demon like okay, if so you not, look up not mercedes mccambridge um, uh, mercedes mccambridge does an excellent job and apparently they forced her to smoke like and she like drank raw th- eggs and yeah she she put herself through hell and then to they do that didn't credit her and then linda blair got her uh, uh oscar nomination taken away because she didn't do the voice and they didn't credit Mercedes McCambridge as the voice, which that's on the filmmakers. And I don't think Linda Blair should have had her nomination taken away because she still did it. Linda Blair had her own. Yeah, she she was nominated for an Oscar and they took it away because she didn't have the Oscar, but she was nominated and they uh, disqualified her because she, she didn't, didn't do, the, do the demon voice. Interesting. Uh, which was just insane. Yeah, if you just look up Pazuzu face. <laughs> have you seen um, it? No, I was just thinking about it. Okay. Um, yeah, oh, no, she is super pretty. She's real pretty. Jesus. Very, very pretty lady. Turned into the most horrifying image that I've seen in my entire life. Man, Eileen Dietz. Yeah, so for any of you who care. <laughs> Which you should. That's the thing. Um, also, that happens in... There's two instances where that happens. One in something that does somewhat pertain to this podcast and one that doesn't. Oh, no. Pointy teeth. You were right. You were ah! right. <laughs> God. I just ruined Randy's night. <laughs> um, so the first is an American Horror Story. Seasons two and four, specifically. Uh, two was Asylum, Asylum and, and four, four was Freak was... Show. Okay. So the character that pay- plays Pepper. Yes, 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 yes. That lady yes. is... She's pretty cute. So pretty. She's so cute. And then, um, very much not horror related at all. I, the lady who plays, um, she plays one of the McPoyles. Right. No, she's actually all the McPoyles. Not bad looking. No, not at all. Uh, Jimmy Simpson, quite handsome. Yeah, he's a good looking dude. We need to talk about Hereditary. Yeah, let's do that. We got some time. Um, I fucking love that movie. (laughs) I I loved every minute. 
I I know I liked it. Um, I was having like a shitty day beforehand. And real quick for anybody uh, who has not seen it, spoilers, spoilers. We are spoilers, going to spoil spoilers. the shit out of this, so um, uh, it's coming. I ca- I will not be quiet about this movie. Yeah, I saw it at like midnight on a day that was not great. Uh-huh. Um, and I walked out of it <coughs> with my boyfriend Travis, and like again, like at the end of uh, Black Klansman, like it was a different kind, but we like couldn't verbalize you can't the emotions talk. you can't properly describe it and you can't not think about it it is a movie that sticks with you yeah like i felt weird for being like yeah i really like that because right. it was it's a dark insane. twisted fucking movie um and like i was saying earlier like my brain will just pick one random thing from a movie and like focus on it so the thing that stuck with me wasn't even like her sawing her own head off or that headless bloated corpse in the attic. It was Tony Collette's headless body just floating up through the trap door to the treehouse. I don't know yeah. why that bothered me. I think it was because it was in the background of a shot. There was nothing to indicate it was happening, right. music or sting wise. It was just there. I've seen that movie twice now. And there were lots of things that I picked up on. Um, but there's still a few things that I don't know what the significance is i need to watch it again but i am afraid to it's fair um because like when her head got knocked off by that pole like you're just kind of like okay if it happened they're not gonna show it and then it cuts then that long shot with the ants yeah. and then you could just hear everyone in the theater just like inhale and several people were like what the fuck just out loud and they do their best to make it absolutely like the most unsettling and disturbing they can. And it didn't feel like shock factor. It felt None like it all. needed to be there. None. There were a few moments that had shock factor, but it wasn't it wasn't an intentional like loud noise with quick ca- quick camera movement. Yeah, yeah. It just was shocking. Yeah. Well, like, they um when they when he's before is it Peter? Is that his name? The the one from the Naked Brothers band. Yeah, I think I think his name is Peter. His character's name is Peter. It sounds right. Right before he falls out the window, he sees just the three pasty naked people smiling at him. It's so... W- and then, okay, there are a few shots. There are two shots that that stuck with me. And there were transition shots. They're really simple. Mm-hmm. The first one um, was the night to day. Yeah. Where it just, you know, it just switches. And then the other one where it goes from day to night. And I don't know if you noticed this, but when it goes to night, the whole house is surrounded by cult members. What? Oh fuck! I am there are fucking naked again. people all around their house, and I uh, the second time I saw it, I was like, "Oh no!" Because <laughs> you you know you know what's coming, and yeah. then, you know from that point forward, almost every shot has a fucking naked person in it. I two things. I love that there are naked people in the movie, but it's not like hot girls. No, no, that, no, 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 no. Um, and then because they're cult members. To okay, if you have seen the movie, you know the whole. <laughs> And if you haven't and you're still listening, then you're fucking stupid. (laughs) You should have turned it off because this movie needs to be seen fresh. Um, The whole movie is about a satanic cult that has essentially lost its head member, uh, which happens at the beginning of the movie. It's Tony Collette's mother. And they have been trying to raise this demon who is a servant of Satan. And... um, wanted it to happen through their daughter who's fucked up yeah and she's only fucked up because she has been tormented she's been groomed for this she's been groomed for that so she's tormented by her family and also probably tormented by this demon like she she's fucking she sees stuff and hears stuff that's why she clicks and she has her isms you know 
that clicking sound is now it's haunting um one of my coworkers, he has a younger daughter and he like he saw the movie and then a couple weeks later he was like i was in the car with her and i just hear from the back uh. seat and like she's four she hasn't seen it and he's like i thought about you know just leaving her on the side <laughs> of the road so like she's tormented and then she dies she gets decapitated which there are a few things now i want to get into plot holes First off, with the decapitation, mm-hmm. we see at some point, we see when the when Peter is driving him and his daughter, or him and his uh, sister, sister to yeah. a party, yeah. it stops on the telephone pole, and that symbol is engraved in the telephone pole. Almost like it was intentional. Right. But, like, this is one of those things where when you think about it, every single part following, passing that telephone pole, had to have been planned. Here's in order for that to happen. The thing, in the text that they were reading about it, it said that he had to have a male body. Right. So she... Didn't serve that purpose. Didn't serve that purpose. So they had to, I think, get rid of her. And then it set all of that in motion, like planting that cult member that taught Tony Collette's character how to do the seance to bring her back. And Right. But like the whole, the decapitation in general, like... It might have been a ritual the, sacrifice. But the... Cake would have had to have been planted at the party with nuts. Mm-hmm. Like all of that would would have had to have been planned. The cult members were not involved in at least. It's not shown that they had any involvement in that. None, other than the fact that we know that this telephone pole is going to play an important part. Everything else would have had to have fallen in motion perfectly for that to work. I want to say plot hole, but I also want to say that like <laughs> we missed something, which is entirely possible. Yeah, it's entirely possible. There's a second thing that's not a plot hole. It's just something that's bugged me ever since it happens. My old roommate won't stop pointing it out. Hmm. When she first meets the cult member mm-hmm. in her house, yeah. she specifically pulls a black tea leaf off of her tongue, and it focuses on that. And I don't know why. And that's bothered me. I will investigate. Not a huge thing. But the last plot hole... Shit, what was the last one? It was another kind of big one. I can't remember what it is. So never mind. Um, I would just like to say I like that it was designed to be watched multiple times, but it still has that twist. Like um, Shutter Island. I watched it without knowing anything for the first time. Right. It was amazing. It blew my fucking mind. I can't watch it again with the same feeling. Right. It's ruined. Yeah. But with You'll her- never have that feeling. But again. with Hereditary, there's so much stuff to continue to look at. And it's a little bit like in this movie, like I don't think it got the best reviews, but as above, so below. I have heard of it and it got garbage reviews. Yes. It's so good, though. Um, like you watch That's it. That's the Paris catacombs. Movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. You, you see it and it's like, okay, they go under the catacombs and it's, it's fucked up. But y- there's also all of this like symbolism where it relates to Dante's Inferno. Oh, okay. And if you, you have to read and you have to be like sharp, but there is so much shit in that movie that you don't notice until you like, like really watch it. Right, right, right. Um, I feel like people didn't give it a fair chance, but. It happens. Yeah. Um, well, we are at an hour and a half. I you talking about Hereditary. <laughs> we can I love that movie so much. It was amazing. No, okay. um, we, can, we can end it. I'm going to have to watch it again. I'm going to be alone this weekend, so probably not now. But <laughs> definitely going to watch Annabelle Origins after you leave. Um, I don't blame you. Yeah. I kind of want to go do that, too. But also... It was great to have you back. Thank, it was a pleasure. So we could pleasure. just <laughs> talk about fucking movies that... I feel like that's what I'm mostly good for. 
Yeah, I figure that's what this podcast devolves into 90% of the time. So At I least just, we're talking about horror movies. I gave it a legitimacy this time. <laughs> um, I probably will come back to the Amityville horror. That book was really good. I hate it to say that it was good because it's so fake and it was presented as real, but it was good. What are you going to do? What was another um, book like that? What the fuck was it? A Million Little Pieces about the... Uh, that's one. Yeah, the Oprah <laughs> one. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So, do you have anything coming up? Or I know What's More Metal has a recurring show now. Yes, What's More Metal is live every Wednesday at Funhouse at 10 p.m. Pitch Please uh, is on at 8 p.m. every fourth Sunday at Kelly's Olympian. Um, listen to Laughing in the Dark. It is a, a podcast hosted by a lovely lady named Sarah Jones who hangs out in haunted places with comedians. Um, she is wrapping up season one in which her last legit uh, out in the field episode is with um, Kyle Kinane. In oh, the, shit. Yeah, in the basement of the comedy store. So it's it's Booha on location with better guests. Yeah. <laughs> you should definitely, yeah, she hangs definitely out, listen to that. Yeah, she hangs out in the places. And uh, she was in recently with Wendy Weiss, a haunted hotel room where they got shit faced on wine and conducted seances she's far braver than i am yeah she's sarah jones is a rad lady and she's wrapping up season one that's going to be finishing up pretty soon but season two will be back next year we've got lots of plans for nice. some dope shit chump on one but don't listen to that we don't need your <laughs> listeners we don't need listeners really. <laughs> fuck that show fuck it right now mm-hmm. um that's pretty much it i think i don't have anything of my own so all right so uh you can find us on twitter at boohaha uh facebook facebook no boohaha pod sorry still don't have the official boohaha yet um facebook facebook.com slash boohaha pod you can email your stories to boohaha pod at gmail.com um I would definitely get those stories in. We have a very special guest from a podcast that is no longer running, and we had one of the other members on this show previously, so I'm going to let you work that one out. <laughs> it's like a treasure hunt. It's a podcast that's no longer running, and the person who's coming is a co-host with another person that has been on this show. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll tell you after we cut. And let me see. If you are a Toronto native, we are taking Boohaha to the East Coast at the yeah. end of October. Fuck yeah. Uh, we did that with Minneapolis. It was a lot of fun. So uh, one of my best friends is going to be showing me around Toronto and telling me stories. Uh, it's a reverse Boohaha. It's an Aha Oob. <laughs> uh, where I am the guest and someone... Oh, silly words. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. Tweet at me if you figure out who the guest is going to be. <laughs> uh, and I'll see you guys next month. Goodbye. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, check out the You Gonna Meow podcast network. Go to yougonnameow.com. 